Buy more, save more with a patio door at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Buy three windows, save $500. Buy six, save $1,000. Buy a dozen, save $2,000 by adding a patio door. But only through April 30th. Set your free consultation now at PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the program. So glad to have you with us. Hey, let me call your attention to my Twitter account. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at JeffWagner620. couple new postings. First of all, I want to sort of foreshadow something. I'm going to play it on the radio in the two o'clock hour of the program, but if you want a head start on this. Um, so last night I I was at home, I was watching a bunch of things, but kept coming back to ESPN to watch the NFL draft. And then afterwards, I was just kind of watching Sports Center, and the, the host at Sports Center is a guy named Scott Van Pelt, who's their lead host now, and he's kind of an entertaining sort of guy. But all of a sudden, out of the clear blue, he does this thing called The Best Thing I Saw Yesterday, and it was a tribute to his family dog who, who passed away. And it's about five minutes long. I'm going to play it in the two o'clock hour. But without a doubt, this was the best thing I saw yesterday. Heartbreaking, but wonderful all at once. And every dog owner will relate. And as a matter of fact, after, after I watched this last night, I was thinking about it all night. And this morning... My dog, Sasha, who turns seven next week, she got a longer walk and some extra tummy rub time. But it's just, again, it's one of these things that's just heartbreaking but wonderful all at once. I've got a link to it. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. And you can, if you didn't see it, and my guess is most people probably didn't, you you can just listen to the tribute. Otherwise, we're going to play it in the two o'clock hour as a a launching point for kind of a larger conversation. But I did want to give you a heads up on that. And I say, if, if you are a pet owner and a pet lover, um, and a dog lover in particular, it, 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 will, it, it will bring a tear to your eye. There's no question about it. All right. As long as you're at my Twitter account, at JeffWagner620, there, there was another tweet that I sent out yesterday that really, it's one of these stories that, that caught my attention. Let me tell you quickly the story of Nostalgia Packer-Wells, 27 years old. She pled guilty to fleeing and eluding police and two counts of second-degree recklessly endangering safety in connection with something she did in August of 2020. The case has been hanging fire for a year and a half, which is a whole other story. But here's, here's what happened. According to the criminal complaint, officers are sitting in an unmarked car near 27th and Valite when they hear squealing tires. A car passes, they see this car, it's speeding and fishtailing, trying to stop before it hits the squad car. All right? So Packer Wells was the the driver. The car turns onto 27th Street. And again, I'm looking at the, the complaint. Car turns onto 27th Street, runs a red light, at which point in time the police, they've got the bubble lights on, they pull it over near 28th and McKinley. All right, so the car stops. Police get out of the car. According to the complaint, Packer Wells asks the officer why he was following her and harassing her. Okay. When the officer goes back to the squad car to begin writing a ticket, Packer Wells speeds off. 
takes off and a chase ensues. Now get this, the pursuit stretched to more than six miles on a city street and the interstate, speeds of greater than 90 miles an hour. It ends when this woman runs another red light, hits another vehicle. Both vehicles, the complaint says, this would be the one she hit and hers, spun violently out of control, knocked down street signs and lights. It gets better. A woman and her two-month-old baby were in the other vehicle that was hit. The woman suffered pain, swelling, and abrasions as a result of the crash. It is a miracle, a miracle that nobody was killed. All right, so she gets convicted of a variety of offenses, like I say, fleeing, eluding police, and two counts of second-degree recklessly endangering safety. So she goes into Milwaukee County Circuit Court to be sentenced, and I, I know exactly how this happens. The judge looking at her probably lectures her about how dangerous this was and says, okay, I'm going to sentence you to two years in prison, All right? And then they always do this. The judge will pause and say, but I'm going to suspend that sentence and put you on probation. She got probation for this. All right, which brings me now now this this is not necessarily unique because this is reflective of what happens every day in the dumpster fire that is the Milwaukee County Circuit Courts, particularly the criminal courts, where one judge after another bends over backwards to slap the wrists of people who should be doing time. But here's something, this is where this gets unique. Alderman Michael Murphy. Now, I have for the last several years been saying that what we need to do is is that the complaints about this can't just come from guys like me on the radio. It's got to come from elected officials. And when you see these outrageous sentences, what you need to have, I I, want to see the new mayor. I want to see the old mayors of the Common Council. I want to see them use their bully pulpit and stand up and name names and say, look, we have this case. This was a ridiculous sentence, or this was a ridiculous charging decision made by John Chisholm, or this was a ridiculous plea agreement. They need to start naming names and calling people out. But but a lot of politicians don't have the guts to do it. So you get this ridiculous sentence, right? So here's what happens. Alderman Michael Murphy puts out a statement. I want to read the statement, and there is, this is one of these cases where he's both right and really wrong. I will read you the statement in its entirety. Um, Police chase and and horrific crash results in probation for reckless drivers. Statement from Alderman Michael Murphy, April 28th, 2022. During my career as an elected official, I've always respected the boundaries between the legislative and judicial branches of government. However, when a case presents itself as not providing adequate justice or protection for the community, I feel obligated to speak out. This is one of those cases. The Milwaukee County Circuit Court Judiciary owes every citizen of Milwaukee and Milwaukee County an explanation as to why a dangerous, reckless driver was given two years of probation for a case that very easily could have resulted in innocent people being killed. Go Alderman, right? Fox 6 News reported that on Monday, April 25th, a circuit court judge sentenced Milwaukee woman Nostalgia Packer-Wells to two years of probation for an August 2020 police chase and crash. Packer-Wells was given the free pass of probation after pleading guilty to fleeing, eluding police, and two counts of second-degree recklessly endangering safety. She was initially sentenced to two years in prison, but the judge stayed the sentence in favor of probation. Probation after she fled a traffic stop and led police on a pursuit that stretched more 
more than six miles on city streets and the interstate at speeds exceeding more than 90 miles an hour. Explanation point. The pursuit ended when Packer Wells ran another red light and struck a vehicle. Both vehicles, according to police, spun violently out of control and knocked down street signs and lights. A woman and a two-month-old child in the other vehicle were injured, but thankfully survived the crash. I cannot imagine how traumatized the woman and the baby must have been by this horrific crash. And I cannot stand by while a dangerous, reckless driver gets a slap on the wrist and no jail time for putting the lives of innocent citizens and police officers at great risk. The The sentence is simply unbelievable to me. The judiciary needs to be held accountable in cases such as this, and I will wait for an explanation from the circuit court for the unjust sentence in this case. Okay, you read all that, right? You go, okay, you know, um, that's that's great. That's great. You know, all right, go, go, Alderman Murphy. You tell us about this. This is great. You're outraged, et cetera. You want to hold the judiciary accountable. Right. Did you notice what was missing in that statement? I mean, I read the whole statement. You know what was missing? The name of the judge who did it. Now, I, I sent out a, a tweet on this. And by the way, the name of the judge in this case is longtime public defender and Tony Evers appointee Milton Childs. That, that's the judge who did it. And I, I'm, I'm really glad that a public official is finally calling out a Milwaukee County Circuit judge for an outrageously soft sentence. But why bother if you don't name names? I mean, t- talk about an exercise in, in futility, because my guess is— when you start naming names and calling attention to this, you're going to find that there is a pattern. So I'm all in favor of what Murphy's doing. I hope more members of the Common Council and more county supervisors, you'd like to see Cavalier Johnson making this a point of doing this. But but here here's the deal. It's one thing to put out a, a statement saying that you're completely and totally outraged by this. I'm outraged. This is an appalling sentence. I want an explanation. But what good is it if you don't name the judge who did it? And the judge in this case, like I say, is he was appointed, I believe, to the bench by Tony Evers in 2019. He had a long career as a public defender. All right. So that's it. His name is Milton Childs. Why, if we're going to be outraged about this, why don't we say this is a sentence that came from Milwaukee County Circuit Judge Milton Childs? Let's name names if we're going to be outraged about this. 855-61. Well, we'll take a call. Lucy. Lucy on the west side. Hi, Lucy. Hi. Jeff, did you actually look at the CCAP yourself? Because it wasn't Milton Childs at the sentencing. The case was assigned to him. But if you look at the CCAP, and I know you're a lawyer, and so am I, it has a judge named Michael Hanrahan, who was a Scott Walker appointee, sitting in court that day just for the sentencing. Everything else in the case is Childs. I agree with you. It's a Childs case. But CCAP says that Mike Hanrahan was sitting in. So just I, I wish you would check that because everybody's beaten up on Childs and maybe he I will be, Lucy, to be beaten up well, on, but I don't think he was sitting there. Well, Lucy, I will be glad but to double check that, more, but, but but I will be glad to check that. But you're important. but you're right. But I mean, what do you think about the calling about naming names for the ridiculous sentence? And, and if it turns out to be Hanran, you, you're right. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I totally agree with you. But I want to go on and make another point. The real scandal in this case. The bigger scandal is that this went forward as a plea deal. The DA presented this James, speaking of naming names, the DA is James Griffin, and he made a deal with the long time, with the public defender who had been on the case from the get-go, and so had Griffin. They adjourned this thing about 20 times, 
because of all the COVID excuses or the defendant wasn't quite ready to plead guilty yet. And then it was presented to whoever the judge was as a done deal between the prosecution and the defense. And you and I both know that the judge very rarely rejects a plea deal. So as long as we're naming names, let's talk about the DA. I, and I, you know, and Lucy, I think that is is more than fair. You know, one of the things that I had hoped was going to happen after the Daryl Brooks case, you know, the Waukesha thing, is I hoped that there would be more scrutiny of of a lot of the, the bail decisions and a lot of the plea decisions that were made, because I, I firmly believe that Daryl Brooks isn't a... Um, it's not an exception to the rule. You know, it, it just happened to be a situation where this is the guy that goes out and kills six people, you know, while he's out on a ridiculously low bail. Right. I, I, I think that you could find all sorts of crimes that were committed. They just don't get that attention. So I so I, I, I'm glad to see people doing that. And I will be glad to double check. And if it's Hanrahan. Um, who's been who's all over a couple cases as well. I I think it's important to start naming names. I'm with you. I suspect that I suspect that what happened is, is that they're so backed up, they're trying to clear the backlog that they called in another judge to help take the plea deals in Childs' cases while Childs did something else. I, I don't know that, Jeff. I'm speculating. No, good enough. Well, we'll look. But that's that's how I think that happened. Well, and I think the that... last thing I want to say. I live in the I live in the Central City. I live at you know in in Pigsville. This kind of sentencing by so-called liberals shows contempt for those of us who live here and are law-abiding. And the people that are mostly affected are other people of color. And this is not right. Yeah, You know, Lucy, it's funny you say that because I, I get a lot of texts from people who, but believe it or not, I have a lot of people who, who listen, who, who live in some of the higher crime areas and are persons of color. And I get all these texts saying, you know, that that people just don't understand that they're, they're they're prisoners in their own home. You know, you you can't park your car on the street. Yep. You're afraid to go out and and walk your dog at night or whatever because of what's going to happen. And and that's that's the true outrage of this by not getting that. I, I, look, I believe most people are good and decent and law-abiding, but there's a, a certain percentage, whether it's 1% or 3% or whatever it is, of, of people who are just so criminally inclined that they're holding everybody else hostage. Yes, so now, so now we are at the mercy of whoever the probation officer is for young Natasha, because I'll bet you she doesn't follow all of her conditions. Uh, well, yeah. Thanks for the call, Lucy. Okay. I, pre- I appreciate the I appreciate the perspective. Yeah, that's that's the other thing. It, it's like probation. You know, we, we, I was talking earlier this week about another one of these cases that's been a guy who's now wanted for murder, who his case has been hanging fire since 2018. He was out on the streets on, again, a stupid low bail. But this is the type of stuff that happens, you know, all over. And we need to start holding people accountable. So very glad to have you with us. Yeah, I pulled up the CCAB record. The case is assigned to this Milton Childs. But that day, Lucy's right, the actual sentencing judge Uh, was Michael Hanrahan. So we'll name names, Michael Hanrahan. But this is what's got to happen. We've got to start naming names, calling out these circuit court judges for these sentences that are appalling. And I'm glad to see elected officials are now starting to raise this particular issue, using this bully pulpit to call attention to some of the problems that are, in fact, out there. Uh, Speaking of this, here's a story. Channel 4 had it. Um, Metcalf's Market in Wauwatosa. And, and they, they get 
they get good citizen points for this. A woman named Tammy Marsh said her father walked into the store with $10,000 in cash in a plastic bag looking to buy gift cards. He goes to the gift card stands and starts trying to buy them out. And he was... Her, her dad apparently, you know, suffers from memory problems. He was one of these scammers. He was being scammed. It was one of these stories about somebody's in trouble or somebody needs this. And, and so you, know, you got to get these gift cards. The employees at Metcalf apparently stopped him. They said, sir, we're not selling you. We're not selling you these gift cards. You, you can't have it um, because they, they knew something was wrong. They sent him away. He came back to the store later and apparently did, again, try to do the, the same thing. They refused to do this. Now, that the bad thing about this is after they refused, he apparently went to other places to gift gift cards, and he ended up buying about $8,000 worth of, of gift cards. But at least at this one store, when they saw a guy who was obviously befuddled, a guy who obviously was, was being scammed, they refused to take the money. And, and you got to give them a lot of credit. You wish more stores would maybe have red flags for this. But Metcalf's Market in Wauwatosa gets some good citizen points from me. So very glad to have you with us. Waterstone Bank and WTMJ Steve Scafidi are once again partnering to recognize the heroes in our community. Police officers, firefighters, health care providers, and countless others help every day to protect our families. They're the first on the scene when critical accidents and unfortunate events occur. Do you know a first responder that deserves recognition for their duties? Well, head to WTMJ.com and make your nomination now. And please hurry. The nomination period ends May 13th. It's Waterstone Bank's salute to service on News Radio W. W-T-M-J. All right. As long as we are talking about crime and crime-related matters, this is the story from Fox 6. Milwaukee City-County Carjacking and Reckless Driving Task Force issued a 35-page final report in June 2020. All right. And so this, this gives you an idea of where things were going. Fox 6 investigators found a driver whose record of traffic violations is two pages longer two pages longer than the 35-page final report. All right, 24-year-old Durrell, D-I-R-U-L, Chaplin, doesn't seem to be worried about the consequences of his behavior. Um, What, this is it, between 2019 and 2021, Milwaukee police pulled Chaplin over 21 times. Milwaukee County Sheriff's deputies nine times Glendale and Elm Grove police also stopped him at least once apiece. And those are just the worst. Those are just the ones we know of. So 21 plus 9, add a couple others. Yes, so they're talking more than 30 times. And that's just the ones that you know about. You've got the worst driving record I've ever seen, a Milwaukee police officer said to Chaplin after stopping him for going 66 miles per hour in a 30-mile zone last summer. Over a three-year period, Chaplin has been cited 12 times for speeding, three times for running red lights, and once each for fleeing, unsafe cutting, endangering safety, passing at an intersection, and reckless driving. He's also been cited at least 10 times for driving while suspended or revoked. Let me let this linger out in the air for a moment. He's been cited at least 10 times for driving while suspended or revoked. Each time police stop Chaplin, they find 
He has no license plates, no registration, no insurance, and no valid license. During one of the traffic stops, an officer apparently asked, you don't have an ID on you? He said, nope. He answers before lighting up a cigarette. Each time they watch him drive away illegally. (laughs) You just let him go to continue violating the law, said Tristan Thomas, an Appleton man whose sister was recently killed in a crash in Milwaukee. The driver who slammed into her car is charged with operating while revoked, causing death. It's been difficult. Thomas watched a series of body camera and squad car videos obtained by Fox 6 investigators that document five of Chaplin's traffic stops in the summer of 2021. In one video, an officer hands him a citation, then gives him a fist bump before sending him away. Um, and then it goes on and on and on. You know, and people are talking about how they are, they are outraged. And I, I guess one of the points is now— After much discussion, the Milwaukee Fire and Police Commission is going to allow uh, cars to be at least temporarily taken. But but look at this. Um, Chaplin, he has racked up more than $9,400 in fines from 73 municipal citations, all of which remain unpaid, or the majority of which remain unpaid. Um, Let's see. Last summer— Chaplin stopped. Deputies pulled him over eight times in 33 days. Each time he was driving the same car, a white Infiniti G37. So, you know, now they're talking about how, well, okay, if you take the cars away, maybe that'll that'll stop him. And, and by the way, I'm in favor of that. I am in favor of impounding cars. So do not get me wrong. I think that's a good step. But I raise this larger point. How in God's green earth Can you be stopped for reckless driving 35 times in three years and continue to be allowed to be back on the roadways? How can you be stopped, what was the number, at least 10 times for driving while suspended or revoked and allowed to continue to be out on on the roadways? How can you accumulate 70-some tickets and have no intention of paying these things at all, crumple them up and throw them in the back, and still allow to be on the roadway? So the the premise of the story is, well, well, now maybe it's going to be harder for him to do this because they're going to take away his car, at least impound it. And I'm all in favor of that. Don't get me wrong. But, But isn't there a larger point? At some point in time, I don't know, maybe it's after the second or third time you get nailed for driving without a license or a revoked license or a suspended license or whatever, maybe after like the second or third time, shouldn't you be behind bars? I mean, maybe after the fifth or seventh time you get stopped driving without registration, driving without insurance, shouldn't you be behind bars? I mean, I'm all in favor of, of impounding the car for a while, but... At some point in time, don't we need to say these repeated traffic offenses, the the reckless driving, the speeding, doesn't that have to be criminal? Don't you have to get this out of municipal court? And don't you have to say, all right, look, I I understand maybe you didn't know your license was revoked or, or whatever, but, you know, after a third or fourth time, don't we have to start concerning ourselves with the rest of us? Those of us who are out on the streets when this guy is driving with no insurance, with no registration, with no license at all, and driving obviously in a reckless fashion, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, don't we have to start putting 
guys like this behind bars because my sense is this is probably not a one-off. Maybe this is an extreme case identified by the local TV station, but my guess is there's all sorts of people that fit into this category. Six months, a year behind bars, wouldn't that be maybe a deterrent to this? And maybe wouldn't it be something that even if it doesn't deter this low life from doing this, wouldn't it be something that maybe keeps the rest of us safe? Why do we tolerate this? 855-616-1620. We discuss. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I admit the headline in the story caught my attention. Okay, one, one guy stopped 35 times, 35 times over three years. A, a record, apparently, according to Fox 6, a, a record of, of traffic violations, which is longer than the 35-page final report that the Milwaukee County City Carjacking and Reckless Driving Task Force issued. Ten times stopped and cited for driving without a license or with exp- expired driving without a license and things of the like. And he just drives away every time. I mean, seriously, at why, why, why in the world is this guy still out on the street? Let's start with Joellen. Joellen, you're on WTMJ. Hi, I'm just calling because I got a ticket about a year ago. Um, I stopped at a red light. I turned right on the red light. I did not see the sign across the highway that said no turn on red. When the officer pulled me over, he said, ma'am, do you know why I stopped you? And I said, I, I honestly don't. Do I have a tail light off? What, what's going yeah. on? And he said, well, you turned right on red. And he said, just stay in your car. He went back to his car and he came back with a ticket. This ticket was $125 and three points. I had a 40-year clean driving record. Mm -hmm. Not only I I decided to pay the fine because it was going to cost me more to take off of work and go and find it. I was, after all, guilty. However, after I paid the ticket, I got a letter in the mail telling me that I had to take a traffic course. It was called Right of Way. Yeah. And if I didn't take that course, I was going to have to forfeit my license for six months. <laughs> that course took me two hours to complete, and that cost me $100. Right. So how, how can I not be outraged when I hear what you're saying about this guy? Right, Cause, cause, because, Joellen, the system treats you like you're a chump. You, you make the, the, the right turn on red when you're not supposed to or whatever, and, and you get the ticket, you pay the ticket, you do everything you're supposed to do, you go to the classes, you, you take your, your medicine because you're an honest, law-abiding citizen. And yet we, we have the, this other segment of society who doesn't care about the rules, and apparently the system doesn't care about them either, and that just lets them go and do this over and over again. It's just outrageous to me. It's like I can see letting him off once, maybe right. twice, three times, but how many? Right. How many did he get? 
well, they say thir- thirty-five, at least thirty-five times, and that's the only that's the that's the only ones they know about where they issued a citation. No, th- thanks for the call. I mean, between twenty nineteen and twenty twenty one, Milwaukee police pulled Chaplin over twenty one times. Milwaukee County sheriff's deputies nine times. Glendale and Elm Grove stopped him at least once apiece, and those are just the ones that we know about. And, and by the way, this isn't. This isn't just a guy who's driving without a license, although and without insurance. Although I think it's a big deal. Um, let's see. One of the police officers they stop him from going 66 miles in a 30 mile an hour zone last summer. Okay, that's that's not. Hey, he's going 32 in a 30. That's going 66 in a 30. Look, here's the bottom line. Sooner or later, if they don't get this guy off the street, he's going to hit hit, hit and kill somebody. It's almost a miracle that he hasn't done this yet. And again, I think this is kind of like the tip of the iceberg when it comes to some of the stuff that's going on around here. And we, we've got to start criminalizing this. You, you have to start holding people accountable and giving somebody a fine who has no intention of paying that fine at all, who laughs at this, giving somebody who doesn't care. Oh, yes, here's another ticket for driving without a license or driving on a suspended license or whatever. Oh, well, who, who cares? Here, I'm going to drive 70 miles, 66 miles an hour in a 30-mile-an-hour zone. I'm going to run through red lights. I'm going to do all this stuff, and I'm going to keep doing it because they give me ticket after ticket. And again, I I have no problem with with taking the guy's car and and impounding it, and then um, you know maybe keeping it or or whatever. But that's that's not necessarily what's going to stop it. Because okay, so he loses that car, then he goes and gets another car or whatever. You've got to change the behavior that's going on here. Or alternatively, if you can't change his behavior, you have to protect the rest of us. You know, you know, right? You've you got to protect us by keeping these people off the streets, period. Um, otherwise, all you do is, is you wait till the inevitable thing happens. The guy who's been arrested 10, 15, 20 times blows through the red light, hits and kills somebody. And then we say, okay, well, now somebody's dead. Now we've got to send this guy to jail for 15 or 20 years. Maybe if you send him to jail for two years after, say, the fifth time he got caught driving on a suspended license or without insurance or whatever, maybe if we started criminalizing that, we would get some of these people off the street. And I get that this is an extreme sort of situation. And I'm not advocating that every time somebody gets caught with us for speeding or something, they go off to jail, right? There's honest mistakes, and then there's 35 times that you're stopped um, over, over the course of two or three years, and you continue to do it. That tells me that you just don't give a rat's rump about anybody else. So, Maybe maybe society should start to say, well, we're going to try to either protect ourselves or convince you that maybe you need to change your ways. Yeah, I, I think taking away cars is a, is a great start to th- this problem, but it, it's only a, a start. It's kind of one small step because, unfortunately, you, you take away the cars of some of these people who insist on driving and just don't don't care. You know, who knows if it's their car? Who knows, you know, if it's, they're going to be able to walk away from it? Who, who knows? Will that stop them from just grabbing another car somewhere? So it, it's a good step to start taking away cars. But but maybe we should start taking away the liberty of the people that are in the extreme endangering all of us that are around. Hey, I sent out a tweet about this the other day. Um, I think the fact that uh, Brownsville businessman Tim Johns, uh, Tim, um, 
Michaels has entered the Wisconsin primary for, for governor on the Republican side. I, I think his presence is is very, very welcome. And this isn't a knock on anybody else that's running. But I mean, I think he presents a, a, a different, has a number of different attributes, maybe from some of the other candidates that are running. And one of the advantages that he has is he's independently wealthy through his family's uh, business, big Wisconsin business, and he, he's going to be able to self-finance. So you're already starting to see a lot of uh, TV ads out there. But he offers a, a contrast to some of the other Republican candidates who are running, and it's not a knock on any of them. One of the big questions that was out there, though, is he – see, the Michaels Company is a huge infrastructure company in, in Wisconsin. And one of the questions was, well, how are you going to handle this if you become elected governor? Because the Michaels Company builds on all sorts of road projects and all sorts of things like that. And um, Tim, I, I wasn't that concerned about it because I figured out that they I, my, I assumed that they would figure out a way to comply with the ethic rules. And Tim Michaels has already said that he's going to divest himself from his family's construction business if he wins the governorship. So he'll I don't know if that means he's going to sell his interest in it or whatever, but it seems to me that that's the appropriate way to do it. And I, I think to the extent that anybody thought that this would derail Michael's candidacy, it, it's not going to happen. All right. When we come back. I want to revisit something we talked about earlier this week because it's about to become a reality. Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So glad to have you with us. I want to revisit something that we, we talked about theoretically either earlier this week or late last week that now has become a reality. The FDA announced yesterday that it was moving to ban the sale of menthol cigarettes in the United States. And the plan would be that by the end of 2023, you would no longer be able to buy menthol cigarettes. Now, here's the deal. Um, Menthol, I I am not a cigarette smoker, so I I just, I, I don't have you know, I, I'm not involved in, in this particular fight one way or the other. But menthol cigarettes are incredibly popular, particularly among black smokers. The, the numbers are that nearly 85 percent, and this is what the government says, of black smokers smoke menthol cigarettes compared with about 30 percent of white smokers. Um, it, targeting this type of cigarette smoking um, in the black community has been something that cigarette uh, manufacturers have been doing for, for years. Menthol cigarettes, menthol is something that's produced in the lab. They inject it, they add it to the cigarette, to the tobacco, because the idea is it's supposed to give you the impression that it's it's got a cooling and it's a less less harsh. So it becomes more attractive to young smokers or first-time smokers because it's not as harsh as, like, say, sticking an unfiltered camel in your mouth or things like that. It's um, big, big money for the cigarette companies. Um, Reynolds American, which is the old R.J. Reynolds, um, of, of the cigarettes that are sold, that they manufacture, that are sold in the United States, about half of them are Newports. Newport is by far and away the, the top-selling menthol cigarette, and, and that's, about, that's about half. So you're talking about billions of dollars. Now, in Canada, menthol cigarettes are banned. In the United Kingdom, menthol cigarettes are banned. But yet here, it, it's something that, that people 
clearly want. So the government, though, is moving in, and the FDA is going to advance their ban. The Biden administration wants a national ban on menthol cigarettes. Um, They say, okay, here's the deal. The sale of menthol cigarettes and all flavored cigars would be prohibited. There might be a case-by-case exemption for certain products like heated tobacco devices or cigarettes with very low nicotine levels. But the reality is, if the Biden administration gets its way, you would no longer be able to buy menthol cigarettes. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Let me be real clear here on, on how I guess how I feel about this. First of all, I am not a cigarette smoker. I'm not going to lecture those of you who are because it's a choice you make, but I don't understand that choice. I, I, I just never have. Cigarette smoking is expensive. It is addictive, and it's no good for your health. I, I don't – you know, when I – Walk into a bar or a restaurant, and especially when it's, it's colder outside and you see people that are huddled around outside having cigarettes or you know, office buildings, you know, people standing outside when it's 10 degrees, you know, having a cigarette. I always kind of think, man, what, what an awful addiction this is that you, you have to go out and, and you have to do it. At the same time, it is a, a choice that people end up making. And I understand there's a lot of people who would like to quit cigarette smoking, but there's a lot of people who enjoy cigarettes, and it's the decision that that they have made. Now, I don't get that choice. Don't understand it at all. But when it comes to the decision to smoke and the decision to smoke, say, menthol cigarettes as opposed to, I don't know, you you want camel filters or just, you know, straight camels or or whatever, if they still make those, I don't know. But, you know, it's the choice that individual people are making. So I guess— I'm all in favor of certainly educating people on the dangers of cigarettes and educating people on the addictive nature of menthol cigarettes and trying to discourage people from starting. I'm all in favor of putting in smoking cessation stuff to try to help people quit because I I think it's just – it would be better if if we did not allow people to smoke cigarettes. But having said that – if you want to smoke menthol cigarettes, if you make that decision, should the government be telling you that you can't do it? And is it possible is it possible to enforce a prohibition like this? If you were to and if you were to, to wave a magic wand and say, okay, we're not going to allow the manufacture of menthol cigarettes, this rule would go into effect in about two years. Would, would menthol cigarette smokers essentially buy 10 years' worth of cigarettes? Would you create a black market? Is a government ban on this the way to go about it? Or if we have decided that cigarette smoking is so bad and so dangerous, sh- should we just – you know, go all the way and say, why are we fooling around with menthol cigarettes? Maybe we should just ban all cigarettes. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Banning menthol cigarettes alone. Should the government do this? We discuss in just a moment. 855-616-1620. Okay, here's one of our listeners who happens to be African-American. Um, uh, Jeff, I know that because he's a regular listener and sends me pictures from time to time. Okay, Jeff, I started smoking young. I'm addicted. I don't huddle in the winter um, or otherwise suffer to smoke. Okay, that being said, through my addiction, I continue to choose to harm myself with cigarettes, and it should be my choice of what kind of cancer stick I decide to use. Maybe we should just bring back alcohol prohibition as well. All right, see, that's, I guess that, that's the issue. In a perfect world, 
do, do I think, you know, we should have people who are smoking? No, I, I don't. But you might be able to look at some of the things that I do and say, well, gee, I don't think I don't think you should go out and have that fried perch dinner that you like to have on Fridays because that's could not sometimes that might not be good for your health. So that that's kind of the issue. If you have a legal product, should we say all right, there are variations of that legal product, which, by the way, are incredibly popular. Lots of people like to smoke menthol cigarettes. Should the government come in and say, we're, we're not going to allow you to have that choice, so you can't have your menthol cigarettes, so now go start smoking camels or whatever. 855-616-1620. Jeremy and Racine. Jeremy, you're on WTMJ. Hi, thanks for taking my call. I, I was going to use the analogy of marijuana consumption and, and people who use uh, cigars to smoke marijuana, but the other side would be maybe uh, supplements for the health industry. There are a lot of products on their shelves that are not FDA approved. Should, should they start banning those substances as well? Uh, where does it end? If a person makes a conscious decision uh, to, right. to consume that product for whatever reason, that should be their choice. They should be well aware of the, the risks and everything like that, but again, it's their choice. Yeah, no, I, think, I guess that, that's where I kind of come down on this. And this isn't, again, this isn't trying to encourage people to, to smoke, which I, I think is, is bad for you. And I, I think I always encourage people to do everything they can to quit smoking cigarettes. But the, the, I guess I, I wonder where we, we draw the line here. Is the next step going to be, okay, that, that bourbon that you like, that's 102 proof. Well, we think that that's too high. You shouldn't be able to sell alcohol that has over 100 proof. So you have to limit yourself to 80 proof because 80 proof is less potent than 100 proof. And so people won't get drunk as quickly or or whatever. I mean, where do you draw the line when you you take a product and you start trying to say that the different variations of this are not going to be permitted? Now, I understand if, if you were... If we were talking about restrictions because you had stuff that was being marketed at kids or things like that, but that's not really what this argument is. This argument is, hey, you know, we've got adults who are making this decision. You know, they they use the menthol cigarettes. They like the menthol cigarettes. It is admittedly an easier gateway to start smoking than if you were smoking on other stuff. But is that really – is that a basis to tell grownups, for the government to tell grownups that we're – we're going to say you can drink the 80-proof vodka, but you can't drink the 100-proof vodka. Let's talk to Carrie Lee. Carrie, you're on, Lee, you're on WTMJ. Hi. How are you? I am well, thank you. What do you think about all this? Well, I've, um, I'm 56. I've been smoking since I was probably 15 years old. And if they would ban cigarettes, all cigarettes, I'd be totally for it. Okay. Well, let me ask you this. Why don't why don't you quit? I've I've tried quitting. I've tried medicine. I've tried cold turkey. I've tried the gum. I've tried everything. I even said one time to my husband if they'd lock me up in prison, at least I'd quit smoking. <laughs> <laughs> but um if they banned it and I could not go and buy it, well, everyone would quit smoking. Well, I don't. Well, that's an interesting question. Would, would everybody quit smoking, or would it be like prohibition? Would you create a, a huge black market for this? That that yeah, you you wouldn't you wouldn't go into you know the grocery store or the convenience store and be able to buy cigarettes. But don't, don't you think there's people who who like to smoke or addicted to smoking that they'd they'd maybe find a way? Where am I going to get my cigarettes now? Well, there's a guy who's got some in a car down the street or whatever. W- wouldn't there be a big black market? Market, do you think? 
I, I do think there would be a black market for it, but I don't think the numbers would be that high. I think that people that smoke, the majority of people that smoke don't want to smoke. They're just addicted to it. Mm-hmm. I don't want to smoke. Mm-hmm. And yeah, sure, there's going to be a black market. Some people are going, going to go and go that road. But I really think the majority of the people would quit smoking. Okay, well, let me ask you then one more question. Let's say that tomorrow that we, we, we just wave our magic wand and we say no more cigarettes being sold. Can't, can't have any more cigarettes. What are you going to do? If you've been smoking I'd for 40 smoke years. i smoke up everything that I have. Yeah. <laughs> I'd smoke up everything that I have. Yeah. And um, there, you know, I'm a law-abiding citizen. I would, I, I couldn't buy cigarettes. I would have to quit. Uh, okay. Well, I, I guess, oh, fair enough. Thanks for calling here. I don't I mean to pick on her, but I guess I'm, I, and I, I think that that's a noble thing. I'm just not, I, I'm not sure if if all of a sudden you just ban, and we're, that's kind of expanding the topic because I'm talking about menthol cigarettes, but if you just all of a sudden said tomorrow you, you can't get cigarettes, all these people, I, I mean, I don't know what that, what that availability necessarily does. If you're committed to quitting, you're, you're committed to quitting. And if you don't think you can quit, well, all right, then you're back with the patches and the gum and all that type of stuff. Um, but but what about the people who who want to continue smoking? Do we take away their choice of one type of cigarette that's out there? Let's talk to John on the north side. John, you're on WTMJ. It's okay. You know, um, I quit smoking 20 years ago. I smoked 40 years. And uh, I don't think they should stop it because uh, uh, then it's going to go back to prohibition. I mean, they can't even stop people from 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 uh, smoking marijuana or, so or using heroin. How they going to stop it? Yeah, using well, heroin. Well, you're right, heroin, anything else. You know, so I don't know how they're going to stop it. They'll just black market it and uh, you know and 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 sell it, and, and people are going to smoke. It's as simple as that. Yeah. No. No. Thanks for calling. I, I mean, I think you know people are going to have their their variations, and I get I see to me. If you're if you're sitting there and you're saying, well, Jeff, don't you recognize that this is that, that you know menthol cigarettes, for example, are a huge health problem and they disproportionately affect the black community and things like that? And don't you care? Well, I I, I do. I guess I'm just questioning whether or not a government ban is the right way to go about doing this. Jeff, we're already fighting a drug war that's been failing for the past 40 years. The last thing we need is more prohibition. And by the way, I am a non-smoker. Well, um, I think you've got, you know, an an element uh, to that that's there. Uh, Jeff, if you don't have a real good reason to quit, you won't um, you won't quit for yourself. So, I mean, I don't know if they ban menthol cigarettes. Does that mean all sorts of people are going to quit or does it just mean that they're going to shift over to starting um, other types of smoking? Uh, Jeff, um, maybe the government should ban cheeseburgers because they're not good for your health. Well, that's you know, that's the question about, you know, that's the question that's out there. Where do you draw the line um, when it comes to stuff like this? Jeff, I am most definitely not in favor of banning these items. It should be a consumer choice. Um, Well, yeah, I think there is, you know, an, an element of that as well. Jeff, I think it's a good start. I was recently in downtown Chicago at a Walgreens, $15 a pack for cigarettes. Who can afford this? Along with all the hazards to your health, with all the information on what a bad habit this is, why do people still smoke? And I think that's, you know, that's, that is one of these underlying, you know, questions that's out there. And I I, I admit, I, I don't, I don't understand it. And I, I guess 
when I when I'm seeing the people that are huddled outside the the bars or restaurants or the office building smoking, in some respects, when you see the people that are you know in their 40s and 50s and 60s and stuff, you kind of understand it. You think, okay, well, even though we've always known that cigarette smoking was was bad for you, maybe you started at a different time. What I do not, for the life of me, understand is why people. You know, teenagers or people in their early 20s and stuff, that's what I don't understand, is why knowing what we know nowadays about cigarettes, knowing that they're $15 a pack, knowing that you're you're going to be treated as a social pariah. You know, it's, it's not like you can sit at a bar anymore and have a cigarette. No, you're, I mean, you're going to be out in the 10-degree weather, you know, huddled with a couple other people, you know, trying to not freeze and have your cigarette. I mean, so we treat cigarette smokers, rightly or wrongly, pretty much as, as modern-day pariahs. They, I don't think they put ashtrays in cars anymore. So it's we make it extremely difficult for people to smoke cigarettes, and there's no doubt that they're bad for you. And yet people continue to start smoking. I agree. That's just absolutely bizarre. Jeff, here's the hypocrisy of both sides, one of our texters says. The liberals will say it's okay to ban cigarettes, but want to advocate for the legalization of marijuana, which is extremely carcinogenic. Um, conservatives will generally go against the ban on cigarettes, but will we'll then will generally go against the ban, but then also favor banning marijuana. Go figure. It. Well, I think the argument would be, and a lot of people are making a variation of that point, the argument would be that um, even though marijuana is incredibly carcinogenic, you're, you're not going to smoke a pack of marijuana in a <laughs> you're not going to smoke 20 marijuana joints and still function in a given day that would what would be the argument is but this is clearly the, the trend where we're seeing the government moving you know more and more bans we talked about this a little bit earlier this week but um, the, the Biden administration is going ahead with for example phasing out incandescent light bulbs and apparently um, unless unless they're somehow stopped by a lawsuit or whatever. What's going to happen is by next summer, all that would be the summer of 2023, all of you who like the old incandescent light bulbs, which are admittedly less energy efficient and more polluting than the new LED bulbs, but um, the manufacture of those bulbs is going to be made illegal, and the sale of those is going to be made illegal, presumably by um, pretty much, I think, by next summer in 2023. And the bottom line is, if you're one of those people that wants to hold on to those old three-way bulbs or whatever, the old incandescent light bulbs, what you better do is you better go out and buy a bunch of them and stockpile it because you're not going to have the ability to buy those if this rule does, in fact, go through. But the Biden administration is very, very intent on doing it. For me, I just, again, I think it's a matter of consumer choice. I like the LED bulbs, okay? I, I as a general rule, buy the LED bulbs. They're a little more expensive up front, but they last a lot longer. I think the new generation is a lot better than the old generation. So I, you don't have to convince me to buy them. But should the government tell me that I, I can't have my old three-way light bulbs? I have trouble with that as well. In some respects, it's a tale of two counties. Remember that we had the high-profile situation in Milwaukee County several months ago where you had the 15-year-old who ended up shooting up Mayfair Mall. Um, No deaths, but uh, he was coming down an escalator with one of his buddies, and they saw some, 
I don't know if it's rival gang members or whatever coming the other way, and he pulls out a gun and starts shooting, and you had, I believe, eight people that were shot and, and wounded. Thankfully, nobody died. Um, the prosecution, the state, tried to waive him into adult court. The Milwaukee County judge refused to allow that to happen. That matter is now up on, on appeal. So in this case, the DA's office is saying, look, you, 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 a 15-year-old shouldn't be able to take a gun into Mayfair Mall and try to shoot up the place, hit however many people he hit, and then just walk away unaccountable um, through the juvenile court system. Well, okay, Waukesha maybe views things a little bit differently. You will remember that story from a few months ago where you had, it was actually November 30th, where you had the 14-year-old boy who was involved in the incident outside the public library. This was about 1.30 in the afternoon on November 30th when the— um, 14-year-old, allegedly, allegedly, he says, pulled a knife on a woman, an 87-year-old woman, as she was trying to load books into the book return machine. Remember, then he he grabbed her car, carjacked her with her in the passenger seat, drove to an area nearby where he sexually assaulted her. He sexually assaulted an 87-year-old woman. Um, The woman later told authorities that he said that he was, quote, she lived and he would come kill her whole family if she reported the incident. Um, He was arrested a short time later after he dropped her off near a library, drove her car to his home to hide certain evidence, and then drove to an area less than two miles south of the library where he intended to ditch the car. At that point in time, the cops saw him. He was taken into custody after a short chase. Um, Initially, the matter was brought in juvenile court, but then prosecutors decided to try to treat him as an adult. The um, defense, of course, argued that um, there's really no reason to move him into this, and you shouldn't treat him as an adult. What you do is you should keep him in the juvenile system and um, help, help him out you know, try to work with him. Well, uh, yesterday, Judge Maria Lazar, uh, she said, nope, that's not going to happen. She said that uh, we're going to try this 14-year-old in adult court. He's committed adult offenses, and and this is what we're going to do. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. To me, this is an absolute no-brainer. I, I mean, I, obviously, if you are 14 years old and you are doing what the complaint alleges that this 14-year-old did, you, you've got all sorts of problems. There, there's no question about it. But at the same time, when you attack and then sexually assault and then carjack an 87-year-old woman, I don't care whether you're 14 or 44, you know that that is wrong. You know that that is wrong. You can appreciate right from wrong, and I think you need to be held responsible for your conduct. And this idea that, well, we're going to treat him as a juvenile, and then we're going to put him in juvenile detention for, you know, a couple years, and then we're going to hope that that's going to work so that when we dump him back out on the system when he's 18 years old, we hope he doesn't do this again. And at this time, you know, we, we hope that he's not a smarter criminal and he decides to kill the 87-year-old woman so she can't identify him. Uh, this is one of these things that, to me, uh, again, it's an absolute no-brainer. Juvenile courts, I, I think in many respects, they, they exist to give people second chances. There's no question about it. But at some point in time, when you commit the, these heinous acts of violence— 
Well, you, you have to be held accountable. The same thing is going to play out in, in Chippewa Falls. And I haven't talked a lot about this because it, it's just such a horrible case. But you have now the 14-year-old who is in custody in connection with the death of the, the 10-year-old Lily Peters. And I, I I haven't discussed the particulars of this on the program other than it it's alleged to be a murder and a, and a subsequent sexual assault. And there's all sorts of stuff on the Internet about the— who the 14-year-old was and the family background and things like that. And I just, I guess that'll all come out at some point in time. But there are people who are arguing that he should be treated like a juvenile as well. And I'm sitting there thinking, what? You've got a 14-year-old who's done just about as heinous, committed as heinous a crime as you can possibly imagine. No, he, he needs to be taken off the streets and maybe needs to be put in prison for the next 20, 30, 40 years at least, if not the rest of his life. In this sort of situation, I would say that the same thing. It is unfortunate that you have a 14-year-old who would be in a situation like this who would would even think of abducting an 87-year-old woman and carjacking her and sexually assaulting her, but but he did. And at this point in time, in order to protect society, don't we need to keep him off the street? John, John, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. How are you doing? Good. What do you think? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, off the street, anything, I think that is a, is a bare minimum. I mean, you know, stuff like this has been coming up on your program and other news programs for decades now. And I mean, you know, what are we going to do? We're going to put him in prison for 20, 30 years and we want to release him to society and he's going to get a job somewhere and be all turned around. I mean, who are we kidding? Yeah. You know, I mean, who are we kidding? How long are we going to put up with this nonsense? It, it, it doesn't enter a normal person's thought no. to do any of these things. No. You're, you're, and, and like, not anywhere. Yeah, you're, you're, no, yeah, you're right. Normal. And yeah. to try to normalize it and to say, oh, well, maybe we should do this. Like, no, maybe we should have capital punishment. You know, that's my comment. Yeah, no, thanks for calling. And again, I mean, I... Well, capital punishment, not necessarily for juveniles, but I mean, I, again, you know, that's another sort of, you know, uh, that's another sort of thing. And, and see, here's part of the problem. I'm like looking at the hearing. Um, apparently, you know, that you can always f- f- trot people out. You've got a social worker, God bless him, who um, apparently talks about how they believe the Department of Corrections serious juvenile offender program would ad- adequately address this guy's treatment. And then a report by a state psychologist that favored juvenile-oriented treatment options. Oh, my gosh. You know, save us from state-hired psychologists and save us from some of the the social workers whose concern is less about the general public and holding people accountable and more about, well, maybe we can be touchy-feely. And maybe if we get the kid in a room and we we have conversations with him and we explain to him that, gee, you, you shouldn't. You shouldn't abduct and carjack and sexually assault an 87-year-old woman. Maybe you can get the message across. Well, well, maybe you can, but at the same time, doesn't there need to be a degree of accountability, especially for these very, very serious offenses that are committed. Now, obviously, there's going to be an appeal of this particular judge's decision. Uh, The defense is going to try to do everything they can to minimize, and and I don't fault this. This is what defense attorneys do. Defense attorneys don't care about 
the the interest of society in general. They care about the interest of their particular client. There's nothing wrong with that. That's the way the system is set up. The duty that within ethical boundaries that a defense attorney has is to try to do the best thing for their, their client. And best thing almost always means trying to minimize consequences. So that that's what they're all about. And that that's that's what their ethical duty is. So you try to say, well, no, don't try this kid as an adult because if he's an adult, he's probably looking at 15, 20 years, you know, in, in prison. You, you don't go to the adult prison until you hit 18, but he'd be off the streets for a long period of time. The defense is like, well, let, let's get him into these treatment programs and stuff, and then, then let's put him back out on the street when he's 18. That's what their goal is. There's nothing wrong with that being their goal, but you would hope that I don't know. The grown-ups in the room would say, no, we're, we're not going to do this. And there are certain crimes that you commit, you know, when and this happens to be one of them. You commit them, and it doesn't matter whether you're 14 or 44, you are going to be held accountable. So very glad to have you with us. Hey, the 2 o'clock hour. I, I want to. If you want to get a head start on it, um, I, I was watching Sports Center last night, and without a doubt, it was one of the most heartbreaking and heartfelt things I, I've seen in a long time. I'm going to play that for you, and we're going to use that as a discussion about the relationship that some of us have with our pets. And of course, we've got Pop Culture Corner coming up at two uh, thirty. Well, um, there's a number of people out there who I, I know very much are not going to be happy unless former President Donald Trump is pulled out of Mar-a-Lago, put in handcuffs and an orange jumpsuit, and made to do the perp walk in front of all the TV cameras. And there's been a lot of hope that maybe that this investigation by this uh, grand jury going on in, in New York, you know, maybe maybe the district attorney is going to be able to, to nail Trump, and, and won't that be great? And we'll have our pound of flesh, and he'll be taken away. Well, for all those of you that are hoping that that's the case, it, it doesn't appear Likely. Now, the former district attorney in Manhattan um, was a little bit more hot to trot on the, this investigation that they've got going into to Donald Trump. And the essence of the investigation is that Trump and Trump companies and people surrounding Trump, in order to get loans, inflated the value of assets. In other words, kind of like um, I don't know, when you're trying to get a car loan and they're asking you, you know, what, how, how much money you have in the bank, for example, or something like that, and you've got $500 in the bank and you say you've got 50000 Well, okay, you know, filling out false statements to inflate the amount so that you can get the loan. Well, there, there's, always a, there, there's always this degree of, I guess, fudging and, and creativity that goes in connection with this because sometimes when you've got, like, ongoing businesses and all, it's tough to... It's tough to accurately assess, you know, what is really the value of a particular business or something on a, on a given date. So that that's always from the perspective of a prosecutor. It's tough to prove was this really false. I mean, and and that's that's always an issue that's out there, and that's an issue in the Trump case. The other issue that is out there that perhaps is even a larger one is that most times. When you have, let's say, a bank fraud case, a case where you are arguing that the bank issued these loans that uh, b- based on you know false information and things like that, almost always the, the loan goes bad. 
you know, that, that's why you get to the fraud thing. It's like, well, we wouldn't have loaned Jeff that money if Jeff had been honest with telling us, you know, what, what the value of this was or that was or whatever. And, and it's almost always the loan goes bad, so the bank is out of money. Now, I'm willing to be corrected on this, but I'm pretty sure I'm correct. In the case of this investigation into Trump and the Trump uh, businesses and all, none of the loans went bad. So the, the argument would be, Yes, we think that they falsified records in getting these loans, but but there's no real victim in that 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 the loans the banks aren't out any money. The people that loan the money got the loans paid back, et cetera, et cetera. So where is there really fraud? Now, I, I guess again, theoretically, you could look at the underlying statements. Were the underlying statements accurate or not? But I'm just telling you as a practical matter, if if you have a victim, normally the victim is out the money. You were defrauded. You lost this because of the false statements. If you don't have that, it makes the prosecution a lot more difficult. Anyhow, new man, new district attorney comes into Manhattan, takes a look at the case, and doesn't think they have it. Just doesn't think they have it. As a result, a couple of the prosecutors have been working on the case. They get upset. They end up quitting. But the current district attorney, the new district attorney, says, well, we're going to continue the investigation. Well, what's happened now is the grand jury, which was hearing the case, which was considering it, grand jurors don't serve forever. Now, I don't know how long a grand jury that's impaneled in New York sits. Typically, in the federal system, it would be 18 months to two years. But the way the law works is that after that term of the grand jury expires, unless they've brought, unless the grand jury during its term has brought a case, as a practical matter, the case pretty much ends with that grand jury. You can bring in a new grand jury, but then what you have to do is you have to present all the evidence that you presented to the old grand jury to the new grand jury, and that is a very, very labor-intensive and time-consuming matter. So that's why there's always a pressure. If you're a prosecutor and you're using, and I can only give you my experience in the federal system, you know, if you've got if you've got a case and you know the grand jury is going to expire and it's a big enough case, well, what you can do is you consider consider going to the judge and asking to have the grand jury's term extended for another X number of months or, or whatever. But once that grand jury term expires, in the real world, as a practical matter, it is very, very difficult, absent some sort of new evidence, it's very difficult to start it up again because, like I say, you, you can present it to a grand jury, but then you've got to take you know, 18 months of work and read all the transcripts and stuff and do all those things and, and do it for the new grand jury, and then, then you're still back in the situation of where do you go. I, I'm just telling you as a practical matter, when a grand jury expires but without returning an indictment or bringing charges— especially in long-standing investigations that are complex, it typically means there's not going to be charges issued. I bring this up because the grand jury that was investigating uh, Donald Trump, apparently um, their, their term is, in fact, you know, expiring. And they don't think that there's going to be, you know, any any more follow-up. Doesn't mean that the case is dead or anything like that. But if you let the grand jury's term expire, um, they don't return an indictment. Chances are, I think, pretty much overwhelming.
that there's not going to be charges, at least on, on that particular case. Doesn't mean there might not be some other cases. But my guess is for people hoping that Donald Trump gets indicted by this Manhattan grand jury, don't think it's going to happen. Okay, so the headline says, We Energies wants to increase rates by 60 to $72 a year for the average residential customer starting in 2023. Okay, you know what the question everybody has when you hear that? Say, what do you mean? What do you mean they want to increase the rates? I'm paying a ton more for gas and electricity than I was just, just a year ago. And they want to increase the rates? How can that be? Well, here, here's the deal. The cost of fuel, like natural gas, that's 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 a pass-through. They don't consider that to be a rate increase. So if the cost of natural gas goes up for We Energies, for example, that's just passed on to you. So that explains why your utility bill may be $50 a month or $100 a month higher than it was last year. The rate increase is, is different than, than that. The rate increases don't include the cost of the, foo, of the fuel. What they're doing is they're saying, well, we want to invest in more clean energy sort of stuff. So as a result of that, we want to increase the rates consumers pay in order to give us more money to look at alternative sources. So it's really a double whammy. I don't know what uh, I don't know what's going to happen and I don't know whether that's going to be approved by the Public Service Commission, but that's my best explanation for it. Um, for, for those of you who think we energies already had a huge rate increase, well, your, your bills have gone up, but that's not what they call the rates. They're just passing on their added costs to you. Bottom line is um, you're, you're getting whipsawed one way or the other. All right, when we come back, I'm going to, well, it was actually the best thing I saw on TV yesterday. Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Uh, my dog, Sasha, turns seven years old next Thursday. Seventh, And I, I've had her since she was 10 weeks old. And so um, it, it's, it's kind of funny because in, in our life, if, if you know my wife, Fran, everybody loves Fran. And, and there, there's a good reason for that. Um, and, and the dog loves Fran, but the dog really loves me. And, and to the point that, like, Fran will sometimes say, boy, this is, you know, I do all these things, and this really is your dog. But Sasha and I have been together, like I say, since she was 10 weeks old through some, you know, very difficult times and lots of great times. But she, the, these dogs are just absolutely amazing. I mean, she... She has this inner – she knows when I'm supposed to come home. She will be waiting in the laundry room. I come in through the garage. She knows when I'm supposed to come home, and, and it'll be uh, – like my wife will say, yep, she's uh, – well, you know, right about like 10 after 3 or so, she she starts to kind of like watch the door. And then, then normally I'm home by like like 3.30 or something. And if anything ever delays me, and if, like the dog is all upset about that. And so – she she is like that. We have our we have our little routines and things like that. And 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 most evenings, um, if I'm if I'm in our den and I'm watching TV and I'm reading a book or I'm working and prepping the show, she'll I'll be sitting on the couch and she'll be at the base of the couch waiting till I'm ready to go to bed. And then we go to bed and you know she'll come in and she sleeps on the floor in a little dog bed. You know and but it's it's just. Yeah. I've never. I grew up with dogs, but as an adult, I, I just I never had a dog. But I, I just I've missed so much about this, and it's just it's it, they really do talk about how it's 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 your best friend, and if you have a pet, you know exactly what it is that I'm talking about. So the um, last night I'm watching TV, 
I was watching the NFL draft on on ESPN, and then after that, they they segue into their Sports Center show, which is run by a guy named Scott Van Pelt, who you may or may not know, but he's probably one of their their he's probably one of their principal talents right now, and he's kind of got a distinctive look. He's he. he He's shaved his head and things like that. Um, but he's a really interesting and kind of a colorful guy. So I'm kind of watching the, the news. And then all of a sudden, he does this thing saying, the the best thing I, I saw yesterday. And he, he comes on and he does a tribute to his, his dog, Otis, who apparently had just passed away. And I watched this absolutely mesmerized. And, and by the end of it, I mean, I, I'm, it's all I can do to not tear up because I'm sitting there and I'm looking at my little dog and I'm, I'm thinking about this. And, and so if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I've, I've got a link to to his, his speech and, you know, and what he said on TV last night. But I guess it, it moved me so much that I wanted to share it with you. So this is Scott Van Pelt during uh, Sports Center yesterday talking about his dog. Here it is. I apologize in advance for however this goes. Lebetard asked if I cried when I wrote it, said I was doomed if I did, so I guess I'm doomed. It's all right. A few years ago, I wrote about my dad on the anniversary of his passing, which wasn't easy, but this is more difficult because any time I wrote anything for this show, sitting behind me in my office in his spot on a leather chair was Otis the dog. And that thing is worn in like a catcher's mitt because of him. Ever since COVID, when we seem to do everything on Zoom, if you talk to me, well, you got him as well, right over my right shoulder, because he just wanted to be wherever I was. Now, sometimes he'd stand up and readjust. Sometimes he'd lick himself because, hey, what do you want from me? I'm a dog. I waited a long time in my life to get married. I waited just a little bit longer to get my first dog. Otis arrived just a couple of weeks after our wedding day. Training wheels before you have a kid, right? Make sure you can take care of something. Keep it alive. That turned out to be a battle. And man, did he battle. He had so many surgeries. We lost count. We jokingly started referring to him as Otis the Bullet Dodger. He fought through so much and just kept on trucking. But nobody dodges them all. And when yet another tumor arrived, it turned out to be the bullet with his name on it. And we said goodbye to our good boy. I don't know what in my life has made me cry like this. Such profound sadness over a love that was so damn pure. Now, it bothers my mom when I say nothing has ever loved me the way Otis did because she's my mom, I understand. But I just ask her, I ever do anything that made you mad? Uh Uh-huh. Exactly. Otis was never mad at me. Now, he wouldn't look at me when he saw a suitcase. He'd go on hunger strike anytime I was gone for too long, but that was as cross as he ever got with me. Nothing we do could earn what our dogs give away to us for free. That level of love and loyalty. And so many of you know what I am talking about. I've read countless moving tributes through the years about what your bonds meant and what made your dogs unique. And I always felt badly for you, but I had no idea, honestly, and I wish I didn't know now. The truth of the matter is that the only thing our dogs have to do to take up this much room in our hearts and in our souls is be ours. Otis gave way in the pecking order to a sister and then two brothers. So gentle, so patient, so protective, he would have taken off your arm if he thought you meant to do them harm. For real. But even as they pummeled him and climbed on him and pestered him, he never so much as showed his teeth 
even one time to any of them in protest. He'd raise his voice and do that dog talk thing. I'd laugh and I'd say, talk to a Modi boy, let him know. But that was the extent of it. Simply by his presence, he has been a joyous and loving constant every single day of each of their lives. Trying to explain his absence to my children was one of the most heartbreaking things I've ever had to do. How do you make it make sense to them? Hell, how do I make it make sense to me? And the simplest explanation, I suppose, for any of this is the truest. That the best part of this life is loving anything, and you do it even knowing the hardest part, which is that somewhere in the equation, inevitably, there will be loss. And the weight of this one is immense. Because he was the corner puzzle piece so much of what mattered to our family, the big things and the little, connected to him. When I get home from the show late at night, I'd sit in a chair in a room off of our kitchen in the dark, and I'd wait to hear the click of his nails on the floor. And then he'd barrel down the stairs, tail going like a helicopter, and he'd headbutt my knee again and again like he was saying, give me some love, Papa, and some treats. All right, big fella, I got plenty of both. Just like sitting behind me in my office, it was the last part of our daily routine to be wherever I was, and now he's not. After the show tonight, I'd rather drive all the way from D.C. to the Pacific Ocean instead of taking a short ride home where I'm going to sit in the dark waiting for my Odie boy. But if this hurt is the cost of the transaction, for being on the receiving end of a mighty love that I got to know in Otis the dog, then I pay it with enormous gratitude. Because even though I'm crying, I was just so happy he was ours. And I'm so happy that we were his. My friend Spencer Hall said simply, dogs are grace. And Chris Stapleton sings about a revelation that a dog has a soul. And they're both right. I stared into the eyes of Otis the dog and into his soul, and I promised him again and again, yours is going to forever live in mine. What, what struck me about that on just so many different levels is you know, where he's talking about how his, he and his dog, they, they end their day together. Well, my, my dog and I, we, we end the day together you know, as well because she spends evenings with me. And wherever I am, that's where she is. And when I decide it's time to go to, into bed, you know, that's, that's, that's what, what, what time it, it is. Sometimes she decides. Sometimes it's like, come on, Dad, let, let's, let's go. I want to go, in, go into bed. Let's, let's go. So it, it's amazing the way dogs touch our, our lives. And I guess I've been thinking about that since I saw it last night. And I, I, like this morning I, I wake up and I, all I could think of was, okay, my dog Sasha, she got a much longer walk this morning than she normally would get. And she definitely got some extra tummy rub time and, and things like that because it really j- just hit home. People, I don't think if you're a pet person, if, if you don't have have a pet, particularly a dog, <clears throat> if you don't have that, maybe you don't understand that. You think, well, that's, that's kind of weird. I mean, why, why do you want to do this? And it's all this trouble. And it is trouble and stuff. But if you have a pet, the way 
the way you get attached to them, it's just it's it's unlike anything I can describe. And particularly in in my case, I mean, I never, I never had children myself. I've got you know, I've got stepkids and I've got you know grandchildren and stuff like that through them. But but the, the idea, you know, of having this this little creature that that's going to love you unconditionally. I, I watched that. And I can just feel for what what he is going through. Our number, I want to open it up for just, just one segment if people want to weigh in. Th- there is a connection that we have with, with our pets that I, I think is almost impossible to describe to people who, who for example, aren't, aren't pet people. And I respect that. If you're not a pet pe- person, that, that's fine. But the, the relationship we have with our pets, I think is just it, it is a bond that's almost impossible to describe. And I guess I was just listening to this, and I was petting my dog, thinking, "Man, I'm I'm just so lucky that that I that this dog is in my life and has been in my life for the last seven years." Eight five five six one six one six twenty. We discuss. Um, I'm just getting swamped with texts from people who can relate to that and who've been in situations where they've recently lost their dogs. One of our texters says, I was going to go work on my boat. I just decided to take my dog for a walk instead. If you want to hear that again, I've got a link to it. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at JeffWagner620, and I've got a link to it. But I think it just, I guess that 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 spoke to me in in a way that I guess it's almost impossible to describe. And I'm I'm sitting there when the, the guy's talking about how, you know, they, they'd end their day together. And I'm thinking, yeah, this is, I mean, the dog can go anywhere he, he she wants in the house, in our house, but she, she chooses every night to figure out where I am and, and end up there, which isn't to say she doesn't love my wife because she loves my wife, but she's, she's kind of my dog because we, I think it's partly because we, we've been together forever. Patty in Oak Creek. Patty, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff, great topic. I'm not going to take a lot of time off because I'm sure other people are calling in. But my girl, I have a yellow lab. She's four, um, just turned four in April. And she's like my soul. I mean, it's like my family is great and everything, but she knows how I'm feeling and everything. And I wish dogs could live as long as people could live. You know, it's like for the grace of God, if we have our dog, I'm just saying she's a lab and yeah. For her to be, if we, I, this is my third lab, to get 15, 16 years. So every moment is precious with her. I mean, like that gentleman said, I'm, you know, on the route that he was taking home. I get home to see my dog. I mean, I love, I love my family, but I'm telling you, my world revolves around my dog and she can go anywhere in the house. Yeah. You know, so no. people that don't have a dog or animal, I mean, and, you know, someday when we get up there, our dogs are all going to be wagging their tail, you know, when, when they meet us. So, hmm. you know, everybody out there, you know how I'm feeling if you ever lost a pet, you know, just love and all the fur and everything. I yeah. embrace all that. Yeah. <clears throat> Thanks for calling. It, it is, it's just, you know, I was thinking there was, you know, there was something I saw the other day. It was one of these things that I, I think my wife showed it to me because it's on Facebook or Twitter. But it was one of these things about how you, you got to understand whenever you want to get mad at your dog for, for whatever um, you got to just remember that all the pleasure they give you, and the fact that they're they're here for a limited amount of time. Because even the dogs that live the longest aren't—it's it's not a human lifespan. Let's talk to Steve in Genesee. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah. Good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, what a great subject, and boy, that really—that Scott Van Pelty really brought a few tears to my eyes yeah. today. That was. Uh, as as my dog Reggie sits here at my feet and 
we end our day on my recliner and he jumps even though he's 60 pounds he jumps up on my lap and then we just sit and enjoy the end of the day yeah yeah, exactly. And it, it is it is that unconditional love. I, I love the thing on the, the show where the guy says his mother always gets mad at him when he says, well, this, this, she, my, my dog was the only was the only creature that ever like loved me unconditionally. And the mother says, well, what about me? And so, well, mom used to get mad at me, the dog. <laughs> you know, it, it just doesn't. Yeah. No, th- you, thank yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Did you ever watch? Did you ever watch the movie The Art of Racing in the Rain? I have not. Is that? Oh, you should. You need to watch it because it's probably one of the best dog movies ever. Okay, and, uh, it's a it's a great, 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 great movie too. So. Uh, okay, I've got it down there, Steve. I, I have to tell you, there, there's a couple of those movies out there, like it's a dog's life and things like that, that I I cannot watch because. I, I, I sort of know, you know, how I, I, on the one hand they're kind of uplifting and they they show the love that people have for their dogs, and on the other hand. <clears throat> A lot of times you you kind of know that they've got sort of a sad ending, kind of like the Bambi movies and stuff. And I, I just choose not to I choose not to watch those. Jan in West Milwaukee. Jan, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Um, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, thanks for making me cry while I'm driving too. That <laughs> was unbelievable. Yeah. But that's okay because I we're lab people. My son got a lab a, a few years back, and the lab got sick, and and. Uh, my son was so close to this dog that he, you know, tried to do everything to save this dog, gave the vet his credit card and said, whatever it costs, I don't care. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the vet was very, very kind and said, there is no helping. He's got cancer and we just can't. So my yeah. son, who is six foot six tall and 40 years old, crawled in a crate with him at the Humane Society and stayed with him until he died. I mean... It was so heart wrenching, mm-hmm. you know. It just um, how much we love our dogs. We will do anything for them. Yeah, you know, it's just it's heartbreaking. Well, it is, yeah. and, and you know, thanks for calling, Jan. And, and of course, the dogs would do that for us as as well. There's just you know, so like this morning, my my, my dog. She's not. She wasn't sick or anything, but she was kind of like she had something stuck in her throat or whatever, you know. And you kind of like that that like you know that like the hacking to trying to get it through. She's she's absolutely absolutely fine. But I'm sitting there and like, okay, we're gonna go for a long walk, and then <clears throat> she likes it when I carry her. So she would. She would let me carry her for hours at a time. Now she's little; she's only like six or seven pounds. But I could walk her around the house, and and I'm really the only one that she'll do that with. But she just loves to be carried. So I was feeling bad because she was kind of like like coughing up a fur ball, or if it was a cat, or whatever this is. It's and and so I'm just kind of feeling bad. So I'm supposed to get ready to do this radio show. I'm supposed to be doing my prep work. I'm supposed to be doing all this other stuff. And I'm walking around the house with Sasha just because it's like, well, I keep thinking of the Scott Van Pelt thing, and I keep thinking about how we've got a limited amount of time in this world and how I just, you know, it's it's just amazing how these pets touch our lives. So in, in any event, uh, if you know what I'm talking about, if you are, if, if you have a, a pet, it doesn't necessarily have to be a dog. I'm just I happen to be a dog person, but you know what I'm talking about. And it is this thing where you get thousands and thousands, if you're lucky, of days of joy, and then you have that, 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 that one awful day, and the thousands and thousands of days of joy are, are hopefully make up for that, and I'm, and I'm sure they do. But you can just, whenever I hear stuff like this, it just, your, your heart goes out, and I appreciate what this guy was going through, and I wanted to share that with you. Back with more in just a minute. It's time now for Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Put aside the heavy lifting and call the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 855-616-1620. And now, here is Jeff Wagner. 
It's Pop Culture Corner Time, brought to you by Palermo's Pizza. Delicious frozen pizzas made right here in Wisconsin for over 55 years. Palermo's is Wisconsin's hometown pizza. Matter of fact, during the 2 o'clock news, both Rachel, who's producing the show today, and I, but we, we had some Palermo's Pizza. One of our teammates made some, brought some over, so we're all set. Okay, now one of the things we also do with our sponsor, Palermo's Pizza, is sometime during this segment... One of the callers, in the discretion, complete discretion of my producer, Rachel, one of the callers will win our Palermo's Pizza Prize Package. Try saying that three times quick, which is um, a couple, it's a couple coupons for some free pizzas and a Palermo's Pizza Cutter and all sorts of other stuff as well. So that's completely and totally in her discretion. All right. Pop Culture Corner. And again, if you're new to the program, we do this at this time of the week. Um, every Friday, 2.30, we do this as a way to kind of ease ourselves into the weekend. Sometimes we talk about movies, sometimes books, sometimes travel, sometimes sports. Boy, a lot of sports stuff going on, sometimes food. Uh, today, well, today we go back to the world of music. Why? Because today is Willie Nelson's birthday. Do you know how old Willie Nelson is? Willie Nelson is 89 years old. Now, you know, it, now Willie Nelson has been, Willie Nelson looked like he'd been rode hard and hung up wet back, you know, in, in the 70s. You know, and, and, and I think if you would have said to people back in 1975 with Willie Nelson, you know, what are the odds that Willie Nelson is going to make it to 2022? What is the over-under? I, I think you would have got some pretty good bets, but maybe it's maybe it's smoking marijuana, although he says he doesn't smoke marijuana anymore because it was too hard on his lungs. I, I don't know, but, you know, whatever it is, maybe it's playing golf in the afternoons, whatever it is, Willie has the secret to longevity. And not only is Willie Nelson... Not only is Willie Nelson alive and kicking at the age of 89, Willie Nelson is still touring. He's still jumping on the bus. He's still driving all over. He's still playing shows. You can go and hear the Willie Nelson and the Willie Nelson Family Band. You you can hear them. My guess is you can hear them playing shows. I'll bet you they're on the road 150, 200 nights a week because it's it's just part of what Willie Nelson does. So for Pop Culture Corner, now we're not going to necessarily talk about Willie Nelson on Pop Culture Corner, but the thing that is amazing to me is the longevity and the, the career that, that he has had. There's so many performers or bands that they, they come on, they make a huge splash, and they're really, really big for six months or a year or two years. But then there's the other performers, the ones that have that longevity, that track record, that that career that, that in transcends transcends generations. You know, maybe, maybe they were big in 1972, and they're still packing it in in 2022. Maybe they're big in 1965, and they're still packing it in. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Lifetime Achievement Award. The band or the individual performer, you can decide it, that in your mind has had the greatest staying power o- over the years. The, the person that's been able to, you know, maybe reinvent themselves and come and adapt to the time, but 
you know, that person, that performer, that band that's had staying power, that's had longevity, that deserves that Career Achievement Award. And we do it in honor of Willie's 89th birthday. Back with your calls in just a moment. Our number, 855-616-1620. This is Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Now back to Take Your Calls. Here's Jeff Wagner. Today is Willie Nelson's 80th birth, 89th birthday. Sorry, well, 89, 89th birthday. And we're talking about longevity, a performer, a band that should get like an award for, again, long, successful career. Because, boy, I tell you, Willie Nelson has certainly had one. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Ken. Ken, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. I just, um, two weeks ago, he put out a phenomenal concert at Pfizer Farm, the one and only great Elton John. How old would you guess Elton John is, if you had to guess, do you, or do you know? He announced at uh, a concert, he's 75 years yep. old and touring all over the world. He did a three-hour concert at um, Pfizer Forum yep. two weeks ago, and he's traveling all over the planet. Yep, no, thanks. You're, you're, Elton John, you're exactly right, 75 years old. I can remember when he, he first... When, when he first kind of hit it big in the United States with, like, what were some of his first records? Um, uh, Tumbleweed Connection was one. And then, of course, you had the Goodbye Yellow Brick Road album. And, and you're right. He's still—he's managed to not only continue to, to play those songs, which have been kind of timeless, but he's managed to keep himself relevant through the years. He's not just an oldies act. 855-616-1620, which is a part, part of the thing that I think is part of Willie Nelson's appeal. He's not just, he's not just an oldies act. I mean, he's not just playing songs from the 1970s. He's been a guy who has been creative all throughout his career. And, and it's, of course, it's changed, but he's, he, you know, I mean, you go to a Willie Nelson show and you want to hear you, you want to hear Whiskey River and those types of tunes. But at the same time, he's also, you know, done duets with lots of the, the you know, popular sort of up-and-coming singers and stuff. It's been great. Let's talk to Steve in West Dallas. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Hi, Steve. Um, I've never had the fortune to see them, but it's got to be the Rolling Stones. I, I don't know how they're still standing up on the stage <laughs> yeah. at this age. Keith, uh, Keith Richards, Mick Jagger, yeah. I mean, Keith Richards in particular. I mean, if if you wanted, again, go oh, back absolutely. to yeah, 1973 and do like an over-under on, is he still going to be around 50 years later? I'm sorry, I don't think you would have gotten too many takers on that. Probably not even Keith Richards betting on that. Absolutely. Yeah. No. Thanks, guy. And the energy. I mean, I haven't, I haven't seen the Rolling Stones in a long time. But the the energy, you know, that they, they brought and they've been able to, you know, particularly with Mick and Keith, they've been able to keep themselves together for the longest time. So yeah, that's you know, it, it's outstanding. And you've got to award the longevity here. Um, let's see. A couple people on our text line share. Yes, yeah, Cher is 76 years old, and I saw her in Las Vegas a couple, about a year or two ago, and other than the fact that she she was, they, they still had her in those, like, really high heels and stilt type of things and stuff, and I was afraid she was going to fall and break a hip. Other than that, she's still in, in very, very good voice. A number of people are texting in, and they're saying Paul McCartney. Yep. Sir Paul is, um, he's, he's 80. He's going to be 80. And can you imagine? I, I mean, I saw him at Lambeau Field a couple years back. And, I mean, you talk about somebody who has the energy of somebody half his age or more. I mean, it's just I, – I, 
I, I don't know what it is about it, but he's Paul McCartney would be another guy who has managed to again keep himself relevant, new music constantly, and also still. I mean, again, go back and you just go to a McCartney concert. You're going to hear some of the Beatles tunes and stuff because everybody wants to do that, and you're going to hear tunes from like Wings, but you're also going to hear some of the newer stuff. All right, let's talk to Claire in Oconomowoc. Claire, you're on WTMJ. Hello, I would have to go with Dolly Parton. You know, a number of people on our text line are are saying that as well. It, it you know, you you just forget it, how how frequently what what a part of people's lives Dolly Parton has been, and not just the music, and not just the Dollywood, but all the movies that she did and stuff. She's been an amazing performer, and you know, she she's managed to keep herself out of the tabloids and stuff. I mean, you only hear good things about Dolly Parton. She does appear to be a humble woman, so yeah, even with all her fame. Even with all her fame. Claire, you are our Palermo's Pizza Prize winner for today. So I know Rachel's already got your information, but we're going to send you some Palermo's pizzas and pizza cutters and all sorts of other stuff as well. So Dolly Parton obviously was a winner. So thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Love the show. Have a good weekend. You as well, Claire. Okay, 855-616-1620. We're talking about, like, longevity, like the Career Achievement Awards, I guess. Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Congratulations, Claire. Mine is Jack Blades from Night Ranger, who just turned 68, like, two days ago. And I've seen them four times since September, and... Blades continues to run around on stage like he's a lot younger. He still sounds great. I know people in their 30s who look older than him. And each concert does continue to pack people in, and people do continue to have a good time at the shows. Night Ranger. Okay, thanks for the call. That, well, that that's fun. It is. A, it's the amazing longevity. I was in. I see a lot of these people in Vegas. A couple of years back, we were at a Barry Manilow show. Now, my Barry Manilow story. I've told this before. Is um, 1982, the seventh game of the World Series. The woman who went on to become my wife, uh, my uh, my late wife. We she had Barry Manilow tickets. Uh, it must have been love because we were we went to the Barry I went to, with her to the Barry Manilow show the night of the Game Seven of the World Series and and so I, I hadn't seen Barry Manilow for probably like forty five years and a few years ago I saw him in Las Vegas and he put on a, a good show but at the end he, he's doing like the Copacabana thing and they dropped this giant staircase from the ceiling and he was kind of running up and down that and I kept thinking oh my God don't slip because it would not be a pretty sight but Barry Manilow was there as well uh, Johnny and Montello you're in WTMJ. Hey, good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon, Jeff. Hey, um, I, I would uh, uh, have to say Mr. Zimmerman from Hibbing, uh, Minnesota. Bob I Dylan. think he's known to bill himself as uh, some guy named Bob Dylan, <laughs> which uh, arguably um, is probably America's greatest songwriter. Well, uh, Johnny, thanks for the call. Now, I, I don't... I don't know that I'm going to say greatest song, but Bob Dylan was definitely transformative. Um, he's 80 years old, and yes, he's still touring and he's still making making music. I mean, you, you could and, and and it is it is amazing because you could argue that Bob Dylan, even when he was you know breaking in in his early 20s, didn't have much of a voice and stuff. But he was definitely transformative, and he is still out there. Um, let's see, Jeff. For me, it's ACDC. They're still relevant. A couple people are saying that Ozzy Osbourne. Huh. Well, I, I, you, 
I, I don't know, Ozzy. There, there's, there's a. I mean, I'm saying with Willie Nelson, like road hard and hung up wet. Ozzy Osbourne definitely. Again, 40 or 50 years ago, if you wanted to take the over-under on whether he'd still be around in 2022, not to be morbid, but I'm not sure you get too many people saying that he'd still be around, but but he certainly um, he certainly is, no question about it. Um, uh, let's see, Jeff, for me, it, it's Carol Burnett. We're going to be seeing her. Yeah, she's going to be appearing in Milwaukee. Yeah, Carol Burnett has just had a wonderful wonderful career. Jeff uh, Jackson Brown, I think he's going to be age 74 when he's here on June 15th. Jackson Brown would be another one just who's managed to stay relevant. uh, No question about it. Jeff, for me, it's Loretta Lynn. She's going to be 90. Yeah, the coal miner's daughter. Jeff Eric Clapton. Got it. Jeff, for me, I think uh, Rick Springfield. Rick Springfield. There is something about Rick Springfield that all the ladies love. And I, I... I, I will tell you this, since I've been working in radio, whenever Rick Springfield comes to town, and this almost never happens, I get calls from some of my friends, particularly some of my female friends, asking me if I can get tickets to Rick Springfield. Rick Springfield's going to be here or there. Do you have any connections? Can you get tickets? And I'm like, I have no connections. You know, <laughs> I just, who, who are you talking to? I, I, you know, I do news talk and stuff. No, you got to go call the FM radio station and stuff. But people just absolutely love uh, that. Jeff, for me, it's uh, longevity. It's Fleetwood Mac, particularly Stevie Nicks. Yeah, well, Fleetwood Mac, is kind of split up and stuff. But yeah, but Stevie Nicks has been around for a while. A lot of people are mentioning um, uh, Dolly Parton. Jeff, Jimmy Buffett. Well, that that's that that's true. I watched um, Jimmy Buffett's back out on tour. He's 75 and slowing down a little bit, but still it, it's the same sort of fun thing. I watched a Jimmy Buffett show last night in between watching the um, watching the NFL draft. Jeff, for me, it's Alice Cooper. Right, Alice Cooper is still, in fact, around. You know, the interesting thing about Alice Cooper is um, that that's not his real name, but the band was originally called Alice Cooper. That was the whole band. And then he's the, I forget his name, but he was the lead singer. Then he changed his name to Alice Cooper. And so there was always this con- confusion. And then he fired most of the band. So now it started out Alice Cooper as a band. Now it's just kind of like Alice Cooper. Jeff, for me, it's got to be Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. Yeah, they're clearly right up there as far as longevity. Jeff Van Morrison, I think, um, you know, who's been around forever as well. The Beach Boys. How can you forget the Beach Boys? Yes, uh, fun, fun, fun. The Beach Boys, you know, going back to the 60s. You talk about career achievement. They've been there as well. Jeff, Tony Bennett. Yeah, maybe when you talk about a career achievement, something um, as far as longevity, maybe even exceeding uh, Willie Nelson. Um, no question about it. Boy, just a lot of people. Tony Bennett, all these just take, so, taking a walk down memory lane, share again, and a lot of people saying Paul McCartney. But, okay, it's Willie Nelson's 89th birthday. I'm not going to encourage you to light anything up in recognition of, of Willie Nelson, but maybe maybe if you're at your fish fry tonight, you know, maybe just a, a toast to Willie Nelson, 89 years young. What a career. When we come back, we're going to find out what's on John McCure's mind and Jane McMatinere's mind. Stick around. <laughs> 